Good morning, Northgate. It's good to be together again, enjoying these summer days. And uh, with Canada Day coming up this coming week, it's uh, certainly moving into the beautiful time of summer, isn't it? So if any of you have been following, or for those of you that have been following the, uh, the reading plan for Northgate, it's been really intriguing to see these passages all put together like this and to follow through. So this past week, we've been going through Matthew 20 to 27, 1 Corinthians 4 to 10, and First and Second Peter. And in the reading of this, I actually began to discover some insights about Jesus' leadership, which I wanted to share with you this morning. It wasn't originally what I was going to talk about, but as I was reading this, I was quite taken and think it's very appropriate for where we're at today and some of the things that have been going on just around us in our society. So, here we go. The best leader ever, the best model of leadership ever seen is in Jesus. And in Matthew 20, verse 28, one of our readings this week, Jesus says of this, he says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a quality of leadership. What a standard of leadership. And it's interesting because with those following Jesus and with that kind of standard, you think it would be just an incredible group and everything would be going well. But Jesus had his challenges. He had them with his own disciples. At one point, um, I mean, they really didn't get what he was doing. And at one point, he says to them, what are you arguing about? What's, what's all that arguing going on? And so they tell him, we want to know which of us is the greatest. What an odd thing for a group of leaders to discuss amongst themselves and with Jesus. It just shows how much they really didn't get what he was about. And Jesus replied to them. And you never see Jesus getting impatient with his disciples or with his followers. But it's like, wow. He says to them, you want to be the greatest? Then become the least. You must become a servant of all. Further on in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 23, it says the wife of Zebedee, who is referred to very likely as Salome, who would be the sister of the mother of Jesus, Mary. Uh, so in other words, Jesus' aunt. She comes to Jesus with two of her sons, and she bows before him very respectfully and reverentially. And then she comes and asks this very awkward question. Just picture yourself as a leader being asked this question by a family member, by an aunt, somebody close to your mom, and by your cousins. And they come to you and because you're the leader, they're asking you this favor. What a strange favor. She asks them, as they do as well, grant that these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left. In your kingdom. <laughs> what an amazing request. But again, it shows that neither she nor James and John understood really anything about what Jesus was, was here for and what he was talking about and what his kingdom was really about. Jesus says to them, and I picture very kindly, you have no idea. You don't know what you're asking. You don't get what this is all about. 
It's not about position. It's not about placement. It's not about power. But it's about doing my Father's will. It's about serving him with your entire being. A ransom for many coming not to be served, but to serve. Surrounding Jesus and the disciples and the people of that day was this group of leaders. And they were really the religious cultural leaders of the day. They were called the Pharisees. And they were the keepers of the law and they were keepers of the standard of life for the Jewish people. I think they were really to be feared. They walked very uprighteously. If you see, watch The Chosen and some of these movies, you see them in their fine robes and they look very rich and put together and to be odd, all that kind of thing. They were oppressive though. They kept laying down non-biblical laws upon the people. They were seen as self-serving. They acted in a manner of superiority, self-righteous. And such a contrast to here's Jesus coming and saying, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the least. If you want to have the highest position, then give your life to serve others. What a contrast. And so Jesus is always calling them out for who they were. In the readings this week that we went through in Matthew, 23, for example, in verse 5, he says of them, everything you do is for people to see. It's not coming from your heart. It's for everybody to see and affirm you. Make you look good. Aren't I righteous? Aren't I good? You love position. You love places of honor. He refers to them in verses 16 to 19 as blind guides blind fools, blind men. Here's 23 of Matthew 23. He calls them hypocrites, full of greed and self-indulgence. He says of them, you clean up the outside. You look great on the outside, but inside you are filthy. Verse 27, he refers to them as whitewashed tombstones, looking clean on the outside, but dead on the inside. And in verse 33 of Matthew 23, he even calls them, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Needless to say, they did not like Jesus. He was offering such a different kingdom than what they were offering. They were completely opposites, had a clash. And Jesus unrestrainedly confronts them. What a leader. He exposes the lie in them for the sake of his flock. This is what the Jewish people were used to, the Pharisees living under it. This is how they had to live, and this is probably all the disciples knew. Outward, you look good. It's a place of position, place of power. It's about you being served, not me serving you, you serving me, you holding me in my position. And it's about political and cultural manipulation. So Jesus comes, announces his kingdom. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. What's with that? In Matthew 20, verse 26, he just says, if you want to be the greatest, you must be the servant of all. 
Later on in the writings, Paul, one of the apostles, followers of Jesus, writes about this kingdom as he's encouraging the church to walk it out after Jesus ascends into heaven. And he refers to leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, he calls these leaders servants of Christ, servants of the one who modeled this manner, this fashion of giving your life for the sheep. And he's asking these leaders to do the same thing. As servants of Jesus Christ, be like Jesus Christ. It's so, so different from the culture that's around them, even from the religious Christian culture that's around them. I'd like to go on and read 1 Corinthians 9, verses 18 to 23, which is again part of the readings that we've been doing this week. It says in verse 18, For though Paul is saying this, for though I am free from all, I don't owe you anything. I am paying my own way. I am free from any expectation that you have of me. He wasn't saying it was wrong that others could get paid for doing what they're doing, but he's coming to them saying, here, I'm coming to you with a message. And the only reason I'm coming to you at my expense is to share with you the love of God. He goes on and says, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win them for Christ. Not for political gain, not for a party, not for a program, not for a building, not for a church, for Christ. I have become all things, he goes on to say. Verse 20, he goes on to say, to the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win them to Jesus. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. He forsook his life. He gave, Paul gave his life as a leader, as a servant of Christ. He modeled Christ to the leaders of the Corinthian church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2 goes on to say that we live the rest of our lives in this flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's the standard. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live for what pleases me. We don't live for what makes me feel good, but rather we live for the will of God and God alone. First Peter 5, verses 2 to 3 goes on and sets a standard for leadership in the church, for elders and for shepherds. And it says, shepherd the flock of God. A friend of mine is a shepherd. I love watching him with the sheep. He so models Jesus because he loves the sheep. He gets up every morning to see how they are. Early in the morning, he gets goes out at nighttime and 
tucks them all in and safely puts them in the fold. He knows them by name. He loves them, and they respond to him. And I see such a model of Jesus when I see him with his sheep. Jesus says to the leaders in the New Testament church, in the Corinthian church, and the other churches, he says through his leaders here, through Peter and through Paul, and the leaders, the apostles, he says, shepherd the flock that God has given you. Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, gave up his life. And these leaders of the church in the New Testament were willing to give up their lives as well. They served not under compulsion, not because they had to. There's no guilt. There's no, you've got to do this. They served out of love for God. They served out of calling for God. They served with their whole being. They served willingly. And as 1 Peter 5 verse 3 says, as God would have you serve. Now what that implies is it's not about what they want to do. It's about knowing what God wants. It's about hearing his voice. It's about knowing his word. It's about living the example of Christ. We need to know what God wants. If we're going to lead the flock of Christ, we need to know what the chief shepherd wants. We need to know his voice. We need to know his leadership. Even today, we need to know what the shepherd is leading the sheep that he's given us to care for. Peter goes on to say, it's not for shameful gain. It's never for me. Unfortunately, I know of many ministers, and myself included at times, where ministry was more about me, and it made me feel good. It gave me an identity. It gave me a position. It gave me a reason. But it was so much more about me, not about serving to Jesus. It's not for shameful gain. It's not like the Pharisees. It's not out of self or need or power or position. Because if you do leadership like that, quite frankly, you're never satisfied. And in my position at One Way, I see many, many pastors that actually burn out because they've done leadership this way. They've done it with all of their energy, not God's, and burn out. I'm involved with some church planters, and one of the statistics that was passed on to us is that 85% church planters will fail within five years. So much is done in their energy that they burn themselves out. They run out. They burn out their volunteers. They use everybody up. Oh, it's not the model that Jesus wants. He wants us to see what the great shepherd is doing, to give our lives like he gives his life for us, to model that and to care for the sheep, to serve eagerly. First Peter goes on to say, not in a domineering way, not over them, but rather being examples to the flock. The standard of leadership that First Peter is referring to here, which is the standard that comes from Jesus, is that leaders are to be an example to the flock. In other words, like Paul said, look at me, follow me, be like me. If I'm a leader, and I'm doing this for selfish gain, or I'm doing this because uh, outwardly I look like a Pharisee, I'm good, but inwardly it's death. You eventually will catch on, and you will see through it. And many people have been discouraged and 
disillusioned by seeing through leadership, that they don't see Christ the way he wants to be seen through the leaders. I recognize today that leadership all around us is under attack. I, I didn't think I'd ever talk like an old man, but I am. And I remember listening to older men when I was young, and they would say, oh, I remember when. Well, from an older man to you, let me say to you, I remember when. I remember when politicians didn't lie. I remember that if they did, they were booted out of office. And unfortunately today, lying is a way of life for politicians. We've learned not to trust leaders. And unfortunately, we've learned not to trust leaders in the church. I was just listening to a podcast last night about a, a big, successful, great church. And what was really going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, that's not just one church. There's many, many churches where this goes on. And there's deceit going on. There's, there's sin going on. There's selfishness going on. Selfish gain going on. It's not like Christ wants it to be. Unfortunately, it affects many, many people. And many people lose their faith, lose their way because of such leadership. I'm sorry for the political mess that we're in here in Canada. I'm not referring to a party. I'm just talking about the whole sense of leadership. I'm sorry about some of the outcomes of what we've done as a country and hearing some of the, the uh, reports coming from Saskatchewan and about the indigenous children and, and what has happened, it's, it's horrifying. It's a hard day for us. But still leadership is called to lead, but not lead in a harsh way, not lead in a selfish way, but lead in a way that serves and loves, does the right thing, speaks the right thing, isn't afraid of what people think. Oh, for leadership like that today. If you've been hurt by leadership, I've been. I pray that you'll be able to forgive and release. Release them to God. Let him judge them, not you or me. And allow God to take you back wherever he wants to take you into however he's called you. Let him do whatever he wants to do. For you and for me to be willing to give our lives the sake of the gospel, regardless of if we've been hurt. I'm sorry it's happened, and it does happen, and it may happen again. But God is calling his church back to the example of leadership that Christ modeled. How Peter and Paul and our New Testament readings this week showed us and modeled to us to serve out of love for God, out of calling for God, zeal for God, be willing to give up our lives for the gospel, to be whatever we need to be for the sake of winning people to Christ, to care for the sheep that God has entrusted to you. Now, primarily we're talking to leaders in a church here, but whatever sheep God has entrusted to you, whether it's in the workplace, in the home, wherever you have sheep around you, God has entrusted them to you and to me for us to model Christ to them. As we do this, as we serve like Jesus, they in turn see Christ in us.
Trust is established through this relationship. Ultimately, the church will flourish, and many, many will be one to Christ. I just want to pass on to you that it's my absolute joy to be part of the leadership here at Northgate. I have been so blessed through Dan and Amy inviting me in to come and serve alongside them, to minister with them, to, as best of my ability in Christ, to model Christ, to encourage you and to be encouraged by you, to serve you, not to be served. I love what I see here. Still room for growth. We're being changed. Oh, I thank God. I'm not the leader I was last year. I'm not the leader I was three years ago. I'm not the man I was three, four, five years ago. And you could throw stones at me and say, you did this. Yes, I did. I did a lot of really dumb things as a leader. God has taken me, forgiven me, I've made amends. And I stand with a clear conscience, knowing that he can use me again out of his love and out of me giving my life fully to him. Matthew 20, 28. Verse we started with, verse I'll end with. The best leader ever, the best leadership you and I could ever be, far beyond any of these books or all the rah-rah that we could hear about being a good leader, is Jesus. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, that we in turn would be one to Christ. Isn't that what it's all about? It's leadership, allowing Christ to be seen, that others will be drawn to Christ, and that you and I will be strengthened in our walk with him. God bless you. I pray that you have a, a beautiful week, a great Canada Day, as, as much as we can rejoice in this country of ours, we also sorrow for the pain that we're going through as a country as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for those of us that call Northgate home, how you've drawn us together. And I recognize, Lord, that we are flawed in many ways. We are human, but yet in our humanness, you are seen. Christ is seen. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not, not in any strength that I have, or Dan has, or Amy has, or the other leadership has. It's not in our strength, but it's in you. And as Paul said, that, that in our weakness, in our inability, your ability is seen. Your strength is seen. You are seen. As John the Baptist said, you must increase and we must decrease. What a beautiful place to be. To watch you lead your church, love your people, and you invite us to be participants in that. Lord, I pray for, for this body. I pray for all the other bodies as well, but specifically today, I pray for this body that we'll be encouraged by what you're leading us into encouraged by the hope that we have in you, Christ, encouraged by the life that we find in you and the calling that you've given each one of us, each one of us uniquely purposed by you, for you. May we experience that fully for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of each other, that we'll be encouraged and strengthened until the day of Christ. Thank you, Father. 
God bless you. Thank you so much.